Welcome to Church Unscripted. This episode this week, we really want you to be able to be subscribed. We found out that 38% of you watching this are not subscribed, which either you're not a part of Brookside, which we'd love you to be a part of uh, the church here, or maybe you just haven't subscribed to our channel. So do that. Um, Hit the notification bell so you know when episodes get on. Um, Hit the like button as well um, if you like this video. Um, And comment below if you want to interact with us during the week, um, the rest of the week. Um, But I I have a question to throw out here with Pastor David and Pastor Eric that's I just, I just, it's always in my head here. What did you want to be as a child? Like really young child. Was it an alligator or an astronaut? That's no, I, neither. How did you come up with alligator? Does I don't know, man. They say, that's what he wanted to be. Al- that's what he wanted to be. I don't know what I wanted to be, but <laughs> of all I, the things, it's not like a scientist, no alligator. Okay. <laughs> um, they both start with A, uh-huh. right? Okay. Yeah. What did I want to be growing up? Actually, I, I wanted to be. Um, so growing up in Fort Wayne, so I love the huge skyline buildings downtown, right? And I wanted to have a job where I was up on one of those floors and I could look over the entire city. I wanted a briefcase to carry around. I want to go travel. I don't know what it is. I don't think I'd want to do that now, but that's kind of what I wanted to be. <laughs> it's not the typical, I want to be an NFL player because I knew that was never going to happen. But I thought that'd be really cool to have one of those jobs. Cool, cool. Yeah. David, come on. I, I think I would go the route of not the NFL player, but I always wanted to play professional soccer. But I was never good enough to actually make that a thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Were you but stealing my childhood no, dreams? No, no. Okay. But I was always like, okay. oh, man, I'm going to play professional soccer. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, I want, it didn't I want, happen, surprisingly. I wanted to be a professional soccer right. player, too. Yeah, surprises. Yes. I, I wanted to be a professional soccer player because I played soccer. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. And then, yeah, I just, yeah. I don't know how that all worked out. But so, this Eric. Is, well, this is a good opportunity for our, for our people to get to know us a little bit more. Like, yeah. our childhood. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, who were you when you were a kid? It, maybe yeah, somebody well, will get you a briefcase now. Listen, I'll, I'll use it, okay? Someone watching right now might get me an alligator costume. You know, that's what I'm thinking, You're just right? For it. I know, I'm just asking for the alligator costume. Maybe a stuffed alligator? I don't, anyway, so. Sure. All right. Can happen. So, uh, Eric, can you tell us like a little bit of like a summary of the sermon on Sunday, kind of an outline of what you were talking about? Um, I know we're going to discuss it, but maybe for someone that wasn't there this Sunday. Yeah, happy to do that. So we really found ourselves in Nehemiah chapter three and then uh, up until verse nine of chapter four. Chapter three, as I mentioned on Sunday, is is simply one verse after another of a person or a group of people building each section of the wall and just really moved around the entire city this person built that section, mm-hmm. another person built that section. And, um, you know, at first glance, that could be fairly boring. You know, it's just monotony there. But until you really get into a little bit more, when you do that, you discover that there's some redeeming thoughts to it. And <laughs> a couple of things that I noted is that uh, the work of rebuilding the wall was very divided. There wasn't mm-hmm. any one superstar that said, you know, I built a wall. It was very much a collaborative community kind of effort where uh, the entire team mentality was put into effect, which was really helpful. And then the other thing I noticed and I appreciated about this is that there was no rogue vision going on. It's not one group said, I'm going to take my wall in my section of the wall in one direction and another group took it in a different direction. At the end of the day, it was one singular wall that wrapped itself around the city of Jerusalem. And so um, that would that can only happen when everybody is crystal clear on what the end win looks like. So when the vision is done, what does that look like? And that was, that was really um, an obligation on Nehemiah's part. So what I liked about chapter three is that shows us that Nehemiah created this team culture where there is mutual support, mutual accountability and encouragement. And at the end of the day, everybody understood 
understood what success looked like. And that was cool. Uh, and that was really critical because in chapter four, that's when the, the opposition really shows up. And their opposition at this point is, is primarily verbal, where it's more ridicule and mockery um, for two primary reasons. I call it psychological warfare, where they tried to convince the Jews that they were not who they thought they were. They're far more feeble, far more weak, far more incapable than they thought they were. In other words, you're not good enough to even start rebuilding this wall. Hmm. And the other part of that, that psychological warfare was related to the vision itself. Yeah. If you do build this thing, I mean, it's going to crumble if a fox jumps on it, right? And so it's not going to be strong. It's not going to last. And so why waste your time um, building something that's not going to be worthwhile anyway. So, but the cool thing about all of this is when, when the ridicule sh showed up, um, Nehemiah did one thing each time and that was he prayed. Mm. He, didn't, he didn't retaliate. He didn't ridicule in response. Mm. He didn't um, get sarcastic. He just prayed. And through that prayer, God gave them the next step of what they need to do. The yeah. first step was simply start to build the wall. And the second step when the ridicule continued to happen was, all right, it's time to post a guard mm -hmm. to face the threat when it shows up. And that's where we ended this week. But I think it was a good encouragement for us to recognize, uh, number one, are we all on the same page with the vision of Brookside? Uh, are we clear on what the end goal looks like? Uh, and then when the ridicule, when the opposition shows up, yeah. are we Not a people if, of prayer? Right? Yeah, when, when right. Yeah. Are we a people of prayer? Because Jesus says, my house will be called the house of prayer. Yeah. And so I think that's a good example for us. Hmm. So, so you started when you were talking about that team effort you said, if you're part of a community, there's no room to say, that's not my responsibility. Yeah. And so you started, that's kind of like hitting right at the jugular, I think, to yeah. start out. And so how does that play out in the home and the workplace? Those are two different arenas, but what does that look like? Well, I think it's just looking out for the good of others. I mean, I feel like that's a very um, fundamental Jesus way is just looking at others better than yourself. And so there's nothing that's not your responsibility because uh, you should always be looking after other people. And, and sometimes I think we can get, um, we can kind of get in like a lane and just be like, oh, well, I think you might've said it on Sunday, like, oh, well, I'm not really good at evangelism. So I'm going to leave that for somebody else or, or whatever. But there's ways that we can be involved in that that may not be on the streets, but we can be a support system <coughs> or we can encourage people who have that gift to do that or however that works. And just looking at, um, yeah, just looking out for others. I think that's huge. Absolutely. I mean, this is the problem that Cain and Abel, or Cain got into, right? Right. So after he murdered Abel, God shows up and said, hey, where's your brother at? And Cain said, uh, why are you asking? Am I my brother's keeper? And the implication is, yes, you are, right? Yeah. Uh, and so Cain tried to take himself away from responsibility when God said, no, that he is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in, in this context, um, in the context of my home, mm -hmm. you know, if, if I'm doing my due diligence with my faith journey. If I'm spending time in the word and in prayer, however, my wife is not, it's not for me to say, well, she's not my responsibility because she's in my home. She is my responsibility. So I can't do her devotions for her. I can't pray for her. But what I can do is say, hey, we're, we're trying to create this home culture. How can I help you find space to, so that you can spend time yeah. in prayer and reading and, and do the same thing with my kids? And, and in a smaller microcosm of that, because you, you brought up home, uh, I love it when my four kids decide who made the mess. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. you, I mean, everyone that has kids yep. knows what I'm talking about. It's, oh, it's not my mess. So-and-so right. did that or so-and-so did that. And mm -hmm. it's a smaller version of it's not my responsibility. 
And I think we as believers sometimes don't want the responsibility of cleaning up other people's messes. And yet I think what Jesus taught, he cleaned up all of our messes. <laughs> and so if we're going to model um, what he did, we're actually going to care for others in a way that maybe is completely sacrificial, yeah. sure. um, definitely exhausting, um, and definitely spirit-led. Yeah. And so I think that's really important. Um, now, now, that's not my responsibility. It's kind of a, it's a pretty negative phrase, but people use it a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I didn't do that. Oh, you know, like we, we shift blame. So what determines a healthy relationship in community when it comes to that phrase? What does healthy relationships look like? Because mm. David, you spoke in a little bit big picture generalities, yeah. but like maybe we can get some specifics of mm. what it looks like to take on responsibility rather than say, it's not my responsibility. Mm. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I'm looking at you guys. <laughs> part, part of the reason that, um, I mean, there's a couple of verses and I think I, I brought it into the first service. I might've missed it in the second service, but there was a couple of verses that really speak to this. One of them is in Galatians, you know, bear each other's mm-hmm. burdens, right? Mm-hmm. For this is, this fulfills the call of God on your life. Another one, it says, you know, when, when a brother or sister is, is going astray, mm-hmm. um, bring them back gently. So I think it's, it's an opportunity to, when you see somebody who is a believer, a follower of Jesus, walking away from him, we can't say, man, I feel so bad for them. And whew, man, I hope they come back to Jesus. You know, what the Holy Spirit's asking us to do, especially if we have a relationship with them, is, is come alongside them and find a way to encourage them to come back to Jesus. And that might mean, you know, um, uh, several weeks or a couple of months of, I'm gonna meet you for coffee every week. In fact, um, I was just able to connect uh, a fairly new Brooksider to a veteran Brooksider um, and set up a six to eight week um, uh, accountability partnership. Mm-hmm. And so this veteran Brooksider is coming alongside this, um, this newer Brooksider to help them get back to Jesus. And I think that's part of what it looks like in a community of healthy what, relationships. What does it look like? Um, as you were talking, I just got the thought of like, <laughs> how, do we, how do we live with a bear one another's burdens, but not do the work for them? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes we can almost take on their responsibility as our own when our job may not be to carry they're supposed to carry. Like, well, how do we balance you, that? You're trying a, to sure. you're trying to talk about enabling, yeah. well, right, versus encouraging. Like, yeah. So, like, I mean, how do we how do we practically balance that? Yeah. If if you have the answer, that would be a best selling book. It would be. You just got to yeah. stamp someone else. I do have it, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> okay. It well, I don't want someone else to steal it. Okay. Yeah, copyright. Well, I mean, I think in, I think in terms of enabling is the point where you take on the responsibility that is only someone else's responsibility to take. So for example, you can't parent other people's kids for them. Mm. You need to encourage them to parent a certain way or you need to- But is there a time marriage. when you should step in and parent their kids if they're not able I to? I think you're modeling. Like, like Jesus, for example, yeah. he took people with him. Like he started by doing it himself. He took people with him and then he sent them out. Yeah. Those are the three steps. Yeah. I mean, it's simple as that. If you stick with the first step where you're doing everything, you yeah. can get a savior complex. And right. that's the problem is yeah. then you end up trying to save this yeah. person's situation. You don't actually fix anything. You know, like it's like teaching your kids how to drive, but you never let them drive. You yeah. know, like it just doesn't happen. It's yeah. failure to launch. Like you got to yeah. launch people sure. out at some yeah. point. And the decision sometimes is maybe I'm not the person to get them like right. launched. Right. Right. Like, One of the things that my wife does really well is she sees the needs of other mothers, especially, mm-hmm. um, and then tries to find ways to relieve that pressure. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. she cannot parent for other parents, right. 
However, what she can do is say, hey, on a Friday night, why don't you let us have your kids for the night? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you just take a break, you know, just go out and have fun or whatever. Uh, And then at the same time, we're hopefully giving those kids a home environment as they're in our home that's healthy and encouraging. We're going to give them some snacks and hopefully moving out, whatever it is, right? But it's it's helping relieve some of the pressure of other parents. Yeah. And I think if you have a neighbor- It's bearing a burden. It's bearing a burden. Yeah. And if yeah. you have a neighbor, maybe you're a grandparent, you know, and your kids are mm-hmm. gone, yeah. but you've got some a younger family yeah. next to you and you can just see the pressure those parents are under. Every young parent is under a ton of pressure today, right? Yeah. And if you say, hey, listen, let me just watch your kids for the night. Uh, that would be a massive gift for that young parent. Yeah, um, definitely. And it'd be easy for you. Just get them pizza, you know, put a movie in front of them and love them a little bit. And I think that's easy yeah. to do. It's it's practical. It's yeah. not hard. Right. You can set it up. Yeah. You can do it. And that's bearing someone else's burden and, right. and accepting responsibility for the bigger picture. Right. Sure. You know? Right. So this, the second thing you said, I was, I was totally like, my mind was racing the whole time you said it in the sermon on Sunday. It said, you never personalize the vision. If you never personalize the vision, you'll never protect it when there's opposition. And I kept thinking about this being the reason children leave the church. And this being the reason that they have not personalized their faith. So I'm gonna ask you a question that I don't necessarily have an answer for. I have ideas about, okay? Mm. There's ideas and then there's answers. I don't have answers. Mm. (coughs) That question is, can we help others personalize their faith in the vision for their lives? How does that work? Mm. How can we do that? They say that they, they say there's there's no opportunity like a crisis, and I think when you find somebody in a, in a moment of crisis, whatever that is, that's an open door invitation to step in and provide something of encouragement or something of hope. Um, when they have, I can't I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have struggles with extended family members because they have faith and the rest of their family doesn't. And so family reunions are difficult. Yeah. Um, weddings mm-hmm. are difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever they're with their family, it's, it's always tension. Mm-hmm. And so what I can do to encourage them is to say, hey, listen, you don't have to compromise your faith. Uh, why are you letting even family members dictate your beliefs and your, your decisions on Jesus Christ? If you know he is the way, the truth, and the, the truth, and the life, why are you letting somebody else uh, disturb that for you. And so you can be loving when you're with family. You can be encouraging to them, but you don't have to compromise. Mm. And so it's simply a matter of, of reminding people to step outside of fear mm. um, and not allow that fear to debilitate their faith journey with Jesus. Mm. That's just one example of, of what I've experienced recently. Yeah. David, you got anything to add? I, I have a couple thoughts. Yeah, no, I was just thinking from like the, from the parenting perspective, like you, <coughs> you mentioned kids leaving the church when they go off to college or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder sometimes if, you know, when I was, in, when I was a youth, um, my youth pastor was always like, you've got you've to step out, make your faith your own. You can't survive on your parents' faith. And walking through that, and I know a few other youth pastors who really stress that and that's really important. Um, but I think it's also like how the parents live, like mm-hmm. that they don't um, in a sense force their faith the way that they uh, see it on their kids. Mm-hmm. Like I know with my, with my parents, like they were really intentional to have faith conversations, <coughs> but at the end of the day, they let me make a decision. Um, mm-hmm. They let me struggle through seasons uh, to grow my faith. They didn't try to rescue me or fix things. Um, now, certainly there were probably seasons that they did do that. Um, 
But I think that, like, as a parent, I'm just thinking, like, how can we uh, provide opportunities that are uh, that allow our kids to to take the faith as their own, to think on their own, to explore on their own, and be a safe place, a grounding place, but give them the keys Freedom to the vision. vision. Yeah. Like, I think sometimes we kind of dumb it down for kids. Um, mm-hmm. And if we, if we would not do that and start to give them a little bit more responsibility, maybe they would feel that responsibility and, and take ownership in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So COVID really brought this conversation to the surface yes. because there were, there were multiple kind of visions or ideas that threatened the vision of Brookside in so many different ways during COVID. And I think some of that's still there a little bit. Uh, the frustrating thing is the visions were almost always political um, mm-hmm. instead of spiritual. Mm. It, it was, are it we, wasn't just, it wasn't just Brookside. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It was all over the place, but yeah. are <laughs> yeah. we a church that's going to wear masks or enforce masks or not? And, and that would determine if somebody stayed or left, right? It was somebody, it was, now, so it was a vision of, are we going to be a church that pushes a social agenda or are we going to be a church that's somewhat quiet on that social agenda? Mm-hmm. And so I think COVID offered all kinds of mm. distractions that became pseudo visions <coughs> that if we really leaned into those things, mm-hmm. it would have distracted us from our ultimate vision. And now that COVID is somewhat in the rearview mirror, mm-hmm. um, I'm hearing more and more churches who gave in to those distractions and they're suffering the consequences for it now. Oh yeah. Uh, because I think their congregation recognized that they took a deviation um, and they're reeling from, oh man, I allowed ourselves yeah. to get off track. And, and I don't know if I evaluate Brookside perfectly, but I feel like we did something of a good job thanks to the elder board and the staff right. of staying consistent to our vision. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've been somewhat spared from what those distractions did yeah. to other churches. And I feel my heart breaks for those churches, but I'm grateful for what Brookside allowed us to do. So I think that's, that's a way that's, that we protected our vision. And we protect our and, vision. So yeah. I, I talked about vision and faith. And yeah. so you mentioned, you mentioned the, the first thing you mentioned, I want to echo a little bit is you talked about the difficult experiences being an opportunity. Mm. I think that's very true, especially with mm. children when they're going through something difficult, that's the best time to discuss faith with them. Um, there's two things, and this is very nuanced, but there's people that know of Jesus and there's people that know Jesus. And when I say know Jesus, I don't mean know like thought. Mm-hmm. I mean know Jesus in an intimate relational way. Mm-hmm. And so when scripture says no, we as Americans automatically think like knowledge. We know Jesus. I know about Jesus. Yeah. But the problem is there's, there's a, a gap there. And so gently understanding that we can't bring our children or our friends into relationship with Jesus Christ, but we can be used by the Holy Spirit to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's not us doing it, it's the Holy Spirit. Is It means essentially if we're gonna do that, how do we per- help people personalize their faith? It comes mm-hmm. straight to following the Holy Spirit in those moments where mm-hmm. we get a sense that, okay, God's doing something here. What do I say or not say or do or not do? And leaning on that more than being formulaic, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I can tell you, I think each one of us have probably shared the gospel like 15 different ways. You know, depending on the person, mm-hmm. we find a connection because of their hobby or because of what they're going through. And we can make that connection to where the gospel meets them, where they're at. And so I think that's really important. Specifically with children though, um, personalizing their faith. The difficulty is at some point they have to make their own choices. So I saw too much. I, w- I was in a seminary environment. I saw Christian kids go to college and really struggle because they didn't know how to make choices. <coughs> and so when our children aren't allowed to make choices and they leave the home, 
they don't make good ones. I mean, so it's as simple as that. And so allowing choices um, at a very young age is very helpful. For well, that. let me ask you that. So, I mean, the focusing on like our kids as they grow up and man, I, you got a cough. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's smart. Uh, yeah, if you need some water, here you go. I, can't, I don't I think keep, you yeah. want him to drink. Off okay, no, yet. don't drink my water. This is my water. Um, anyway, so let's focus on like kids growing up, right? And the faith that we as parents are trying to build into them, the threats, the opposition to those things. Yeah. And then I want to ask the question about the church as a whole. Not, not as a whole, about Brookside. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are some of the oppositional threats to our kids' faith? What are some of the oppositional threats to Brookside's vision? Hmm. And so... Um, so you're asking, it's well, a yeah, twofold question. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you guys what those, what do you guys think those things are? We've already talked about some of them in this podcast. Mm-hmm. One of them is preferences, right? Yeah. Those things can distract us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see the emotion behind that yeah. response. But g- give us something of a list. Well, so I, I think that specifically with the church, sometimes it's a lack of um, unity around how much we attend or how much of a priority it is. Like as a parent, before I was a pastor, as a married couple, we went to church as much as physically possible. Like if, unless like we were sick, Mm -hmm. uh, out of town, I mean, there's a few different reasons, but even if we are out of town, we'd go to church. So I think it's very important um, valuing that, that the opposition that we're encountering is it's not that important. I can just watch it online at home, which I can't. I'm like, what's going on? My kids are running around in circles. <laughs> They're dancing to praise music, but it's not exactly like something I can focus on. Um, but I think, I think also um, a lack of uh, clarity on y- un- unanimity. So basically everyone thinking the same thing and unity, which means we don't all think the same thing, but we're all on the same page with vision. Mm. I think there's a blurring of that. And I'm not saying just at Brookside, but I I would say that's a cultural thing. Like we all have to agree. And if we don't agree, then we're not on the same page. Mm. We can be on the same page and not necessarily see things the same way, you know? So that, Mm. that's part of that. Um, When it comes to children, how many different influences are in your children's life? Yeah, It's scary. Um, the influences are starting at an early, earlier age. Mm-hmm. My nine-year-old daughter is encountering things that I didn't encounter until I was like 14, 15, just 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, there's things that our kids are being told that's outright lies when it comes to scripture. Um, the influences are multi-tiered. It's other people's parents, mm-hmm. which is really scary. Yeah. Um, it's the environment they're in. The fact that, you know, on one hand, we want, we talked a little bit about this, but we want to shelter <laughs> in some ways, mm-hmm. um, but we and or we want to protect and and protecting many times thing means proactively having conversations that we need to have. Mm-hmm. And so, when our kids encounter opposition, what conversations do we have? My son has had uh, a couple times where people have just said, "I don't want to play with you today," and he's devastated. And what's the conversation I can have in that moment that's teachable instead of? turtling and telling that kid off that just told my kid he didn't want to play with him, I can have a conversation with my son and explain to him how he can be resilient in that opportunity there. Um, So, I mean, Eric, when you talk about kids, there's so many different things. Opposition is not just spiritual. I mean, it's multifaceted. So what you're saying is that it's not really worthwhile to create a list of all the oppositional threats to our kids' faith. It's simply a matter of giving them the tools and the training to protect themselves, similar to like the like fraudulent currency, right? Yeah. So they don't they don't figure out all the different fraudulent currency right. out there. The what do they call those things? Um, 
counterfeit. Counterfeit. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, they yeah. don't. They don't look at all the counterfeits. They yeah. they become fully clear on what the actual dollar looks like, and then they can easily tell when there's a counterfeit. Yeah, that exactly. Up. Because yeah. because the thing is, your kids are going to encounter things when you're not around mm -hmm. that you have no idea how you could step in and help yeah. them, yeah. and they have to make that decision themselves. I remember my parents just telling me these are situations you walk away from. Right. Like if someone's doing this, right. you walk away. Yeah. If someone's doing this, you walk away. And I listened to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because again, I was like 10 years old, but. Something that Heather did last summer, and, and actually she does it every summer. Since she's a teacher, she stays home with the kids during the summer, mm -hmm. which is a great opportunity for her to, to help my, our kids <coughs> memorize a lengthier section of, of scripture. And so I think last summer or the summer before, uh, they memorized the armor of God. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of the summer, they were able to recite it. We did it at dinner mm -hmm. and it was like, go. And they're like, put on the full armor of God, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And, and, and so we were able to have conversations about what does it look like? Mm -hmm. and, and the hope was that in doing that, they would somehow internalize the protective mm -hmm. measures against these threats and oppositions yeah. to their faith with Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, but go ahead. I want to give you an opportunity. To oh yeah. No, I was just thinking of the oppositions for kids. I'm like, there's it's, it seems endless. Right. Like, it seems like everything is opposing to a faith in Jesus these days. And, and so I think, um, just allowing those conversations, those, those little moments here and there, uh, to encourage our kids to say, Hey, you will face opposition. But I think it's also like, um, it's dependent on how we face opposition too, is they, they reflect what we do. We talk about making their faith their mm -hmm. own and everything. Um, they need to see us wrestle through things. So there's an element of vulnerability and transparency there that we need to have with our kids. Like, hey, mom and dad face opposition too. And it hurts a lot. Mm -hmm. Here's how we're doing it. And we may not be doing it the right way, but this is how we're feeling led to navigate it and things. And so I think helping our kids see those oppositions, I think you said it right. There's there's too many to even create a list. Sure. Well, and, and I think the illustration you gave is probably the best is, okay, so focus on what's the real deal. Right. Well, that's versus what's counterfeit because because my kids can can watch a TV show for five minutes and know if I'm going to let them watch it. Yep. Because they're like, eh, this is something dad wouldn't want. Mm -hmm. Even if it's TVG. I mean, I've yeah. found stuff that yep. I'm like, yeah, I would never let my kids yeah. watch this TVG. Yep. What? But the rating, you look at the rating, you're like, oh, this is fine. Yeah. But then you find out, and I think I think it comes down to that is teach them the truth. Yep. And don't don't you don't have to focus on the rest. And when they encounter the rest and they come to you, then you can have those conversations. I remember a period that I went and I'm like, I'm not going to talk to my parents about anything. It was like 17 to 19, mm -hmm. kind of. Yep. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to talk to them about anything. And then I circled back and I'm like, eh, my parents aren't that like out of it. <laughs> I need to ask them some more questions, yeah. you know, and try to figure out life. And I think if if our goal as as parents and as as members of the body of Christ is to be approachable and open mm -hmm. in any situation to give godly counsel, I think that's where we need to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, is that yeah? Does that make sense? I mean, and if you talk about specific targets to the church, I mean, the church is targeted by everything. You just shared this last Sunday about different cultural issues. And you're like, if this was illegal, would we do anything mm -hmm. about it? And I thought to myself, I'm like. Well, of course we would. We would have to because that's what the word says. Like, I, there's yeah. no, there's no mm. tiptoeing around that. But yet, I think on the other hand, it's it's opposition that's very subtle. Sometimes the opposition is internal mm -hmm. or disguised. Yeah. I mean, I, David, yeah, you're nodding. Yeah, you well, got an I was idea. just thinking. I mean, you mentioned preference, but I think there is. When I think of preference, I'm like, there is so much 
preference that is opposition within the church. I mean, there's preference on theology, there's preference on politics, there's preference on what a church service should look like, there's preference on how you should preach. There's, I mean, there's so much. Um, and I think that's, going back to knowing Jesus, I think that that's almost the the foundation of everything is like when we know Jesus, we can set preference aside. We can set um, disunity aside because we're all seeking to know Jesus and that's the foundation. And that's what gets us through the opposition. It's not a, a strong voice or one person saying, no, this is the right way or whatever that is. It's just knowing Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I believe that um, Satan always works more subtly than overtly. Mm-hmm. And I think he likes to come in mm-hmm. from the back door mm-hmm. or an open back window mm-hmm. um, and sneak in and start to unsettle things. Mm-hmm. And I think that can happen very easily in a church until what he, he has been unsettling now becomes a culture of the church. And this can happen um, this can happen in home too. It's where like, okay, this is just the way we are. We fight about everything. Well, no, that's not, that's not the kind of Jesus centered home that he wants to create. It's, it's, well, we just, we just don't talk about conflict when it's there. Well, that's not the kind of culture that Jesus wants to create. So I think it's we have just to my have personality. Our, that's it's right. It's just who I am. Too. And I think, I think we have to have our radars up uh, for the kind of things that he's trying to do sneakily. And that, that's what the Bible talks about. It's a strong man. You don't, he just knock on the door and you just let him in. You would never do that. But if a robber wants to come into your house, he's going to do it in a way that you're not going to notice. Mm. And then he's going to tie you up and he's going to steal whatever he can in your life. Mm. Um, and he'll steal the culture of your home. So I think if, if we allow him to do that, he's going to, over a period of time, and it might take years. I mean, we read in Nehemiah that the opposition, I mean, it's probably in a matter of days, right? But Satan's more crafty than that. Mm. And he can turn the culture of our home and the culture of our church um, completely toward or away from Jesus and the vision mm. over multiple years. And if we're not, if we're not sensitive to that, yeah. then we'll let it happen. Let's so I, I always want to re- mention CCM music on here. I just laugh. I'm looking at David. I don't know David. what CCM music is. Christian contemporary music. Oh, okay. It, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. so there, there's a song from years ago called Slow Fade. And that's what I kept thinking of as you were talking. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it, but... No, you go ahead, do no, the whole song. Good. But yeah. kind of the point, the point of the song Guessing is crowd, that right? it's not overnight yeah. that things get to the way they're getting. And it's right. it describes a couple that they're arguing and they're, they're mm-hmm. um, heading for divorce and everything like that. But it wasn't overnight that it happened. I think it's the same way in the church. Mm-hmm. And so I do have... What, you say something, but I've got to follow up because he gave me so many thoughts. Right well, there. I, I was thinking about, about this. And You're and, welcome. And, and you mentioned prayer. Yeah. Um, and actually, I'm going to pull up a discussion question uh, from our YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, so now we post discussion questions under each sermon. Um, so if you're watching this, uh, you can go to any sermon. Uh, go down there, look at the discussion questions. There's some great prompts there. But I think prayer is is vitally important to this. And, and the first question on the discussion questions is actually um, how important do you think prayer is in sustaining a vision for a church or community? And I'll extend it to say even a home because I think that's what you're getting at is like what, what um, yeah, how, how important is prayer? I mean, that's kind of an obvious question, but maybe elaborate. I mean, it's, it's as important as a vine is required to uh, a branch is required to stay connected to the vine in order to live. Right. And so if a branch doesn't stay connected to the vine, it's going to die and wither, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If we don't stay connected to our father through prayer, yeah. then our faith is eventually going to wither and atrophy and die. And so um, faith is not faith without prayer. Yeah. 
Right. So, and that's the same as a marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, how can you have a marriage if there's no kind of communication, right? Yeah. You're just roommates at that point yeah. and that's no good. Mm -hmm. So prayer is, is, is critical, but it seems to be the one thing that seems to go away the fastest. Um, and a lot of people would say, you know, in, in terms of spiritual disciplines, surveys show that, that prayer happens very, very minimally for most people. Yeah. And it's before dinner, yeah. right? And then that's just a canned yeah. prayer that I don't even think even matters. Mm -hmm. um, and then and that's it. Maybe it's a lay me down to sleep kind of a prayer and that's all. So if we don't have prayer, we're in trouble. So do you, so, you think that's as a result of like how formulated we've made prayer? Because like scripture says, pray continually. And it's like, how does that happen? Right. But I think in our like American church, we've very like, we've structured it to where it's like a dear Jesus, you right. say some things, amen. In Jesus name, amen. And I just wonder if maybe that's why people stop praying is because they're like, well, I don't have time for the formula. It's a but task, like, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I would it's say more that like, we're intimidated. Yeah. You know how many times I get told, just, oh, you pray just so beautifully. Yeah, I wish right. I could pray like you. I'm like, yeah, we have and a it's hard like, time praying. And we, also, <laughs> we also like pray for other people. Like, you know, the preach pray thing, you know, you've heard about preach, that. Preach pray? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I forgot that point in my sermon, so I'm going to pray it at the end. Right. Um, <laughs> but like, you don't do that. Right. But... <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think that's also intimidating because they do see, they do see pastors praying mm -hmm. or people that are gifted intercessors praying publicly and people are like, okay, so we're just supposed to like, yeah, yeah like whatever yeah, he said yeah, yeah, yeah. instead of like, I don't know. It's just, right. I think maybe we've, we've skewed prayer a bit. I think you're that, right. Yeah. One of the things that's that, intimidating. That John and I have learned through this um, yeah. FEC pastor shift conference yeah. is something called breath prayers. Mm. Uh, and it's simply a prayer that takes as long as to pray as it is to you to breathe a breath. Mm. Um, and it could be as simple as when you get in your car, it's Jesus, give me safety. That's it. It's when you're stepping into a meeting, Jesus, give me wisdom. Yeah. It's when you're going on a date with your spouse, it's Jesus, give us intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very short, simple prayers. And when it, the Bible talks about like pray unceasingly, yeah. I don't think it's a 24 hours of your, your reciting prayers. I think it begins with a, a constant recognition that you are in the presence of God yeah. and he is always available and willing to talk. Mm -hmm. One well, so, way you just said, I yeah. think anyone could do. Breath right? prayers are simple. They don't have to be super formulaic. It could be, I mean, and that can happen all throughout the day. And yeah. Right before we started this podcast, did we do a breath mm -hmm. prayer? You know, it's Jesus, give me the right words to say. Mm -hmm. um, when you're getting in your car and going to a meeting, Jesus, help me to be an encouragement. Yeah. And it's just super simple to do, but we just have to remember to do it. Yep. Yeah. And I think what you said is there's a confusion between pastoral prayer, right? like from stage and then our personal mm -hmm. prayer life. And, mm -hmm. and that, that is hard in Christian culture because yeah. I don't think people see the personal prayer life modeled unless they had it modeled by their great grandma. Right. You know what I'm saying? private. Or their yeah. grandma. Yeah, because You don't know private. what that's like. So there's a couple things that you touched on in the sermon. And I think I love the transition to prayer because that was really an mm -hmm. emphasis that I saw um, on Sunday. Um, you talked about battling for the vision, but you sometimes lose the battle in your mind. And so I, you may have just answered how we battle in our mind. Like how do we, how do we, what can we do when we're battling in our mind against Satan? And I would say the answer, not to give a Sunday school answer is prayer, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's what Nehemiah did. I, I, I think it includes prayer, but I think there's some strongholds in our mind okay, yeah. that, that require more than just prayer because our minds can dictate sometimes the way that we pray. Mm -hmm. And if our minds are corrupted, then our prayers become perhaps inaccurate or have a wrong impression of the heart of God. Mm -hmm. uh, or, we, or we pray things that honestly God would say, you don't need to pray that. 
Um, or why did you pray? Or why did you pray that? Right. So um, if we're constantly praying things like, God, please don't strike me down. Well, why do we pray that? Because God's not interested in striking us down, especially if we're a follower of Jesus, right? But if we have a corrupted mind, mm. thanks to a stronghold Satan's put on there, then that's the kind of prayers we're gonna pray. So I think it is not just prayer, it's also the encouragement of other believers, hence mm. bearing each other's burdens. Yeah, living um, in community. Exactly, so that we can begin to think rightly. I mean, one of my mm. favorite authors is a guy named A.W. Tozer. Yep. He wrote yeah. The Pursuit of God, right? The yeah. Pursuit of Holiness. And one of his big emphasis is the way you think about God mm. determines everything else in your life. So if you've got a corrupted mind, then you're not gonna think about him the right way. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna need someone like you and someone like you to come alongside me and encourage me. So if I'm saying things like, guys, I'm just not good enough. What you need to do as a brother in Jesus is say, yeah, you are because you got the Holy Spirit in you. It doesn't mean that you're perfect at it, but if he's called you yeah. to it, then you can do it. Um, and I think it's also the encouragement of scripture. So if I have strongholds in my mind, it's, it's I need to make sure that I'm replacing it with truth from scripture. But I believe there's also strongholds that require significant counseling and freedom ministry. Yes. Um, I believe addictions can create strongholds and I believe mm -hmm. Satan can actually create a presence mm -hmm. in your mind that, that, that keeps it from thinking mm -hmm. the right way. Uh, and I believe that some of us actually need some freedom ministry done over us where there's some uh, intense um, prayer with anointing of oil. And that's a kind of ministry that right now we're, we're just dabbling in. But I think yeah. that we, we as Brookside can really get into in the future. Well, and I, th I think what you just mentioned is very true. Oh yeah. There's no point that I can think of that I have overcome something like that in my life mm. without the help of others. Mm. Right. Other other believers yeah. that the Holy Spirit used to tra transform yeah. me, not necessarily the person, but the Holy Spirit was using them mm. to say things or do things that were transforming my life. And so I, I do think it is it is bigger than just praying because honestly, if you're keeping some of your problems to yourself and not being vulnerable with others, mm -hmm. I don't think you're ever going to come to any resolution on those. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so Sunday, you said something and this was provocative. I'm going to use that word. Yes. Okay. You said prayer always leads to action. Wisdom tells you what it is. Okay. So let me just unpack what was going in my head as I was thinking, okay, if we're all sitting in these chairs and he just said, prayer leads to action, wisdom tells you what it is. I kept thinking, do we rush out to do something too quick? Mm. Are we rushing out to do things too quick? Because we're not waiting for wisdom. Mm. We're not waiting. We're praying to, to use this. We pray, we talk to God. I mean, I'm using hand motions here. We're talking to God, but we're not actually listening to what God is telling us. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. I mean, we, we skip the listening step right. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so David, David, whoa. Eric's like, I already got a passage right here. I, I do, He's already man. ready, man. I mean, when you think of wisdom, you can't, you can't not think of, of Proverbs, right? Yeah. yeah. So let me just follow that, that train of thought. Prayer always leads to action. Um, I mean, if, if you're praying for, you know, your meal, that doesn't require an action, right? If you're praying for your, your family member's health, that doesn't require action. The context of that thought was when you have a vision that requires protecting, Mm -hmm. When you have a vision that requires building, prayer for that always leads to action and wisdom tells you what it is. For example, if, if, if there is some impurity going on in your home, if there's um, some habits that are destructive mm -hmm. morally and sexually, 
then the vision in that context is get purity, get freedom from that sexual bondage, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's dangerous stuff. We've talked about it before. It's mm-hmm. poison, especially for our kids. So if I'm praying about our God, help me to help me to raise my kids to be free from those sexual enticements. Wisdom tells me what the action is. And when I go to, when I go to Proverbs, this guy named Solomon gives his son the next step. And that is wisdom. And that is don't go near the prostitute's house. Don't even go near it. And so if you've got two paths, take the path that strays far from that. Don't even go close to it, right? And so that's wisdom. And so in that context, if I want to protect my son from impurity, it's how do I get him as far away from the home of the prostitute? And in this case, what if it's online pornography? How do I do that? Well, I put protections in place. I don't let him have the phone when he's too young. I don't let him have internet access Mm -hmm. in his room and then shut the door behind him, right? I don't let him watch the movies that are gonna lead him down that that road. If I want to have a vision of my my daughters finding the right guy to date, whenever that's time for them to date, right? Mm -hmm. Then wisdom says, all right, here, Olivia, here, Evelyn, is the kind of person you want to look for. here's the kind of character that you want to And there, there's modeling that wisdom, Absolutely. right? It's yeah. generational. So if I'm praying for my daughter's future husband, the wisdom tells me that right now at age 13 and at age eight, I need to start telling them the kind of husband that they need to look for when they're a teenager. Not to, not to get married as a teenager, but the kind of person <laughs> even to, right? I mean, I don't want that to get out of... <laughs> that's how rumors start, this, right? This is recording right, right now. Oh. See, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, can we just delete that? <laughs> so I think that's what I was talking about. Whenever you have a vision that God is calling you to build, yeah. it's, it's one thing to pray about it, right? But it's another thing for you to listen to the Holy Spirit to say, here's your next action step. Yeah, well, I mean, we see that in Nehemiah, right? Like, I was just looking at Nehemiah 1, and as soon as he heard, Mm -hmm. uh, he sat down, he wept and mourned for days, and then continued fasting and praying before the Lord. And I don't know how long he did this. It doesn't really say. I mean, obviously, it says there for days, and then did it more. Um, but then the wisdom came after that. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes we're, we like to pray like, God, I need wisdom. Give it to me now. And sometimes we just need to sit and listen. Like say, mm-hmm. say like, yeah. this is on my heart. This is what's hurting. Or this is, this is the vision that I see for my family. Or this is the vision that I see for the church or for my small group or for my neighborhood or whatever that is. But we want it now. Mm-hmm. And maybe God's just like, well, just, continue seeking me, continue listening, wait. Like scripture says, wait on the Lord a million times. Uh, Not really, but you know, it seems like that's a theme throughout scripture. And so it's like, how do we, like, that's really important for the wisdom to come is because we're finally reach a place where we recognize we don't have the answer. And then the Lord's like, here you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you're telling me is that sometimes God waits to give us the next step yeah. until he sees how much we care about want or how much we really want yeah. it. And we show that by how long we're willing to pray over yeah. it. Yeah. So if we pray for a couple of days about something and then we quit, he's like, well, maybe he doesn't really want the next step. Yeah. Maybe he really doesn't want to hear from me that bad. Or, or maybe they're not ready. You know, like the, yeah. so, something I was thinking as both of you guys were talking is sometimes um, that wisdom 
is something that comes and we don't even notice it. We don't become aware of it until that aha moment. Like you ever pray for something and then like two years later, you're like, I've been praying for this and it just was answered. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, that's the nature like of a just, good shepherd, right? That's Psalm 23. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, whoa, God just did this. Yeah. So uh, you you had take-homes, and I think all the take-homes were in direct alignment with your points, right? I mean, pretty, I hope pretty so. straightforward. Yeah. I like how you did that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. That. Great communication. It's yeah, like yeah. I planned it that way. <laughs> yeah. So you had the first one was eliminate, that's not my responsibility from your language. That makes sense. That's what we talked about when we started the podcast today. Um, I've suggested something along those lines. There's a book called QBQ, which is Question Behind the Question. In that, you shift from why questions, like why did you do that? Or why did you not get this done? To how can I help? Mm-hmm. How can I encourage you? How can I, mm-hmm. and, and do that? And so that's one small shift that we all can make going from the why questions to the how questions. Um, but instead of asking why, um, do you do that asking how can, how can you help? So what are some shifts that you guys see from the, that's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. A couple years ago, I had one small shift. I'll just share because this one really hit me like nail on the head. Mm-hmm. I said in my head and subconsciously thought, I shouldn't have to do this, whatever this was. And I started to realize everything I said that to was stuff I actually needed to do, even though it was probably stuff that I'm like, Mm-hmm. why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And I realized that some of that was pride. There was a little bit of pride there, but then there was also a little bit of just like, no, we're past this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize that, especially being a pastor, but even being a Christian, you're constantly in a state of rebuilding and redeeming the world for mm-hmm. Christ. Right. And so it's never stopping. Mm-hmm. It's never, you're going, you know, three steps forward, mm-hmm. two steps back, and you're constantly moving Um, so what do you guys think about that? Like, I mean, what are some shifts we can make? And yeah, that's a really good question. And I think this is probably a really good, like, uh, wrap it up kind of take home for our our people because Mm -hmm. this will apply to their homes too. But personally for me at Brookside, I think this really took root when we as a staff really started working on the relational health Mm -hmm. between all of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we're, we're trying not to say anymore is, you know what, even though that's your lane, even though that's your job description, we're not going to say that's not my responsibility because we're here for each other's success. And so whenever there's a difficulty or a struggle or a confusion in one of our lanes, it's not that anyone says, well, good luck, figure that out, right? It's more of, I'm not here to do that for you, but how can I help you succeed in this? Mm -hmm. What do you need from me so I can come alongside you? And I think that's a really positive, healthy shift that we as a staff have made. And hopefully that translates, of course, long-term into the congregation Mm -hmm. um, as a whole. But that's just one thing uh, that I'd like to answer for. Yeah, I mean, I think of like, um, I think of just like within the church, there's different roles of serving, right? Like there's... um, there's, there's the worship team, there's ushers and greeters, there's children's ministry, there's landscaping ministry. I mean, there's name a ministry, there's probably a place to serve. And mm-hmm. I think just being in the worship ministry, I think sometimes we can have this idea of like, um, there's pedestals and like, depending on where you serve is like how valuable you are or different things like that. So I, I, I appreciate, I mean, I've seen, I've been at Brookside three years and I appreciate that. Um, like, it doesn't seem like we have that. Like mm-hmm. there's no one on the worship team who's above serving in kids or who's above, 
greeting at a door for an event or, mm-hmm. you know, like I just like, I love walking in during the week and seeing some of my worship volunteers watering flowers. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a cool thing. And I think that's a, that's a huge shift to being, that's not my responsibility is like, no, this is, this is our responsibility. Like everything is our responsibility as the body of Christ mm-hmm. and there's no platform or pedestal. Um, so if we need to stack chairs, we'll stack chairs. If we need to stuff paper in the back of the seats, yeah. we'll do it. Like, I think that's like a continual shift that I, I keep seeing and I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So w- one thing just from this last Sunday that I saw was we needed the wheelchair ramp cleaned up yeah, right yeah. before service and the whole yeah. worship team gets up and everyone comes over here. Yeah. Pastor Eric and David were over here cleaning that up. And I think I think that really models what we see in Nehemiah chapter three to yeah. bring it full circle. I mean, right. Nehemiah is naming all these people that are working on different parts of the wall. And sometimes we're gonna be working on different parts of the church. And so whoever you're relationally connected with is your responsibility, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that kind of that group that you have influence on. And so we just wanna encourage you that uh, just like Nehemiah had the opportunity to influence those people, influence them for Christ and, and to be able to share the gospel with them. So I think that's a good way to close Church Unscripted. And thank you for watching this week. Again, 38% of you are not subscribed that are watching this. So subscribe, hit the notification bell below and hit the like button. We're uh, glad you're here with us.